0: I haven't got the uh, church Bible numbers, but the Psalms is in the middle. So if you open it there, you'll find it and go to number 88. <laughs> so, over the next uh, couple of uh, Sunday evenings where I'm preaching, we're going to look at uh, two Psalms uh, written by two brothers, uh, one uh, called Heman and the other called Ethan. Now, those perhaps of uh, my generation, when you read He-Man, you think of the really cool cartoon character, but it's not him. Uh, They were brothers um, in a family uh, called the Sons of Korah, and they were the ones uh, that wrote a number of Psalms. Uh, So usually the Psalms are are written by the Sons of Korah, uh, but in these two Psalms, we're given the names of the sons who wrote them. And the first one, Psalm 88, that we're going to look at tonight uh, was written by Heman the Ezrahite. So let's begin uh, by reading Psalm 88. So it's a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Mehalaf Leonoth, a masculine of Heman the Ezrahite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This is God's word. Now many of us no doubt, have uh, a favorite uh, passage or verse of Scripture. Uh, For many, it may be the passage we read earlier. Romans chapter 8, for example, is a favorite of many. I would be very surprised if there is a Christian in the whole world who told me that their favorite passage was Psalm 88. Here are two uh, descriptions, and I could read many, uh, of Psalm 88. Uh, One uh, author that I read on this said that there is no sadder psalm in the Psalter. Uh, Spurgeon wrote, This psalm stands alone in all the Psalter for the unrelieved gloom, the hopeless sorrow of its tone. Even the very saddest of the others and the lamentations themselves admit some variations of key, some strains of hopefulness. Here only all is darkness to the close." That's a couple of descriptions of many that are very much the same. Uh, If we can sum up Psalm 88, it's very much uh, a prayer in despair. This this psalm of lament, and there are many psalms of lament in the Bible, uh, this one doesn't end with hope. Most psalms of lament end with some kind of hope. But this one, in the actual original Hebrew language, the last word of the psalm is darkness. Darkness, it ends with darkness. And it leads, uh, leads us to ask the question, can a, a follower of the Lord really feel like Heman does in this psalm? Can a follower of the Lord really pray like he does in Psalm 88? Does a, can a Christian feel the kind of darkness that Heman goes through in this psalm? And I would say, yes. One of the reasons that this psalm is in the Bible is to tell us that actually we can feel like this. And this psalm gives us words to pray when we feel in complete darkness. Heman is not sinning as he writes Psalm 88. He's not sinning to feel the kind of darkness that he feels in this psalm. He is a follower of the Lord. We know that because Heman is he's listed as such in the scriptures. In uh, 1 Chronicles he's listed in the names of the Levites. Who worship in the temple and write songs. There is no reason to doubt that this psalm is the experience of a believer. Those who believe that Christians should only ever be happy either don't believe the Bible, or want to rip out a psalm like this from the Bible, which I suppose is the same thing. Or they don't read the Bible, because this psalm isn't alone in showing us people of God who suffer real darkness. And for some here, even tonight, this psalm may very well express your current experience. You may read this psalm and think, this is how I feel. Now, almost all of us will suffer at some point. And in God's kindness, he provides us with words like this that we can express how we feel and legitimize how we feel. To say, it's okay to feel this way. Because singing and praying is not just for the happy. This is a prayer or a song For the sad as well. So, what does this psalm teach us about prayer in despair? Well, the first lesson we find in verses one and two that is, believers hold on to truth. This psalm doesn't really have any hope in it, but the darkest of psalms here stands underneath a certainty in the first line. Look at the first uh, first line of the psalm. Lord, you are the God who saves me. When a writer uses the name Lord here in the Bible, they are using the covenant name of God, the personal name for his people. So Heman here is talking to our God, our Lord, our Heavenly Father. He has a relationship with God. He is one of God's people. Heman knows that the Lord is the God who saves. Now for the Old Testament people of God the primary experience that they think about when they talk about God being the Lord who saves is the exodus from Egypt, where God uh, delivered them from slavery through all those plagues that he sent on Egypt and then opened up the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through. They looked back at that moment in history and they said, Lord, you are the God who saves us because you have done that in the exodus through Egypt. That's mentioned many times in Psalms, not here, but it's mentioned many times. And there are many other experiences of Israel as God's people where God saves them from disaster. But going to the New Testament as God's people, we look at a greater deliverance even in the Exodus. We go to what the Exodus points to, which is Jesus. And what does the name Jesus mean? It means exactly what Heman writes here, the God who saves. And Jesus has come, and he has uh, saved us from a greater slavery, slavery to sin. He died in our place on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. And like Heman, we can have a relationship with the Lord, a relationship with God, because Jesus has delivered us from sin. We can say, Lord, you are the God who saves me. And we can say that because we look at the cross and the empty tomb, and we say, Lord, you are the God who saves me. And that however we feel, the cross still stands. The empty grave is still empty. They are facts of history that are real and true, however we feel. However we feel, we can still say, Lord, you are the God who saves me, and it is always, always true. Notice as well, Heman says, you are the God who saves me, not just Israel. Jesus doesn't just, he, he does save Christians, obviously, but we can personalize it and say, Jesus saves me, even me. So throughout this dark psalm, We see that it's hanging on a wonderful truth. He's the God who saves. But even in this psalm, we do see, if not glimpses of hope, we see glimpses of faith. Notice later on in the psalm, in verses 10 to 12, he speaks about some realities of God. Notice he says about God, your wonders, your love, your faithfulness, your righteous deeds. Now at that point in the psalm, he's questioning God, as to why he's not experiencing his wonders and his love and his faithfulness and his righteous deeds. But even though he doesn't feel like he's experiencing them, he knows that they are true. They are real. No matter how we might feel, the truth is still the truth. God is our Savior. He performs wonders. He is love. He is faithful. He is righteous in all that he does. Our feelings However dark they may be, do not change the truth that Jesus is the God who saves. We can always look back at the cross and the empty tomb and they stand as truth, however dark things may be. And because of that reality that God is the God who, that the Lord is the God who saves, the second line of verse 1 and in verse 2. Heman prays. He says, day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. So day and night shows that he is continuing to pray. And later on in the psalm, look at verse 9. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Heman is feeling despair, but because he knows the truth of who God is, he prays. And the fact that he's praying shows that he's clinging on, even with his fingernails, he's clinging on to the truth of who God is. He's the God who saves. And so the first lesson we learn about being a believer in despair is that we keep praying based on truth that we might not feel. We cling on to the truth, even when we don't feel it, we pray. And his prayers aren't elaborate prayers. His prayers we're going to see we'll see in the rest of the psalm, but he, he just prays because he knows the truth. We'll see that his prayers are, are, are things like, "God, why is this happening to me? God, this doesn't make sense. Why am I experiencing this? but he prays because he knows the truth. So even in the midst of despair, the first lesson is we hold on to truth. But what can we pray in these times? Well, Heman's prayer is written to show us how we can acknowledge to God how we are feeling. How Heman prays shows us that God's people can experience Deep darkness. Heman moves uh, on from truth claims about God to truth claims about his situation. We are not told in the psalm specifically what happened to Heman to make him pray this way. But in the psalm, there are three kinds of darkness that are repeated in his complaints. And those three kinds of darkness are this. Uh, Approaching death, so he feels like he's going to die which I suppose you could class as a a physical suffering. He feels abandoned by God, an internal kind of suffering, or a spiritual suffering. And then finally, alienated from people, relational suffering. Approaching death, abandoned by God, alienated from people. And that those, those things are repeated throughout the psalm in various ways. And for us, suffering can be those things. It can be physical with illness or frailty and the reality of death. We can have internal suffering and mental and spiritual anguish where we feel abandoned by God. And we can suffer because of other people and in our relationships. All of those things can cause us to experience a deep darkness, whether it's external Or internal, we can experience deep darkness, even as Christians. And within these verses, there are a number of lessons that we can learn about how we can cope with this experience of deep darkness. And the first is this to acknowledge that the experience of darkness is very real. The psalmist here is not um, suffering something imaginary. That's not really happening to him. Uh, the suffering he's going through is very real. And his experience is not sinful. We're not given any reason to believe that this experience is actually because of any sin that he has committed. This isn't he he's not suffering here because he's done something wrong. Notice uh, his present experience in verses 3 to 5. Uh, in verses 1 to 5, we see each verse begins with, I am. It's, this is how he's doing currently, and it, it's not good. In verse 3, I am overwhelmed with trouble. His troubles are more than he can cope with. And he believes in verse 3 that his life is drawing to an end, he's near death. He's overwhelmed. Trouble after trouble after trouble. I can't cope with all the trouble he's saying. And in verses 4 and 5, he tells us that he believes he's a kind of living corpse because he's counted as one who has died and gone to be without God. He's counted as one who goes down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. He feels death. And when he talks of God at the end of verse 5, remembering no more and being cut off from his care, he's thinking about how death is a separation. And from this side of the grave, it seems as though the dead are not remembered because we can't see God working among them. We only see God at work among the living. And so he feels that, that like he's dead because he feels separated and abandoned by God. That's how he feels. I am, I am, I am, he says. But then in verses 6 to 9, he points the finger at God and says, You, God, are the one who has done this. Notice how each verse in those three verses, 6 to 9 or 4 verses, are an accusation against God. You have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have taken from me my closest friends. Is this wrong? Is Heman wrong to say that God, you've done this? I don't, I don't see that it is wrong, actually. I, I think there is a truth to it. God is if God is completely in control and a completely sovereign God, there is a, a very real sense that He does put us in these situations. Uh, John Calvin. And his wife uh, lost three children in their marriage. And after losing a son, uh, listen to what Calvin wrote to his friend. John Calvin said, The Lord has dealt us a grievous blow in taking from us our son, but he is our father and knows what is meet for his children. Calvin says, The Lord has dealt us a grievous blow. He says it's God that has done this, but he also acknowledges how God is our Father and knows what's best. But nevertheless, you have done this, says Heman, says Calvin. "In this psalm, there are no enemies blamed for the suffering. Whatever he's going through seems to be for no reason whatsoever. And then look at the end of verses 8 and the beginning of verse 9. He says, I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. He, he feels trapped in his despair. And his eyes here represent his whole self. He's, he's in grief. He is approaching death. He feels abandoned by a God who doesn't remember him and is even causing his problems. His closest friends have been taken away. He feels no escape. And he is acknowledging to God how he is feeling. And then he begins to ask a series of questions in verses 10 to 12. He's feeling close to death, and these questions show the problem that death brings to him. Look at what he says. Do you show your wonders to the dead, he asks. Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love Declared in the grave your faithfulness in destruction. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Well, death is a problem for him because the answer to all these questions is no. Does God show his wonders to the dead? No. The spirit here refers to people in a lifeless state. Dead people don't praise God. I don't, I don't go to Pelsor Cemetery to preach. Because there's dead bodies there. God's love and faithfulness is not declared to the dead, but those who are alive. God's wonders and righteous deeds are not known about in the place where God is not, a place of darkness and oblivion. So Heman here is feeling like he's going to the place of darkness, and he knows that the only chance for him to escape it is if God intervenes before he gets there, because if he gets there... He's not going to see God's wonders and, and, and be able to praise him and all those kind of things. And so he asks these rhetorical questions as a way of pleading with God to act before it's too late. God, I need you to act now because if I'm, if I'm dead, well then that's it. That's the end. That's how he's, how he's feeling. Despair. And the experience of this despair is real. He is right to pray to God about it. And this gives us words to speak when we feel this way. Now, understand this. This is not meaning that Heman uh, is going to hell. But he feels that way. This isn't saying that Christians, when they're feeling darkness, need to worry that they are going to be without God forever. But it, it can feel that way. That's what's going on here. This is how how he's feeling. And as Heman continues to pray, the rhetorical questions turn into a question that he doesn't know the answer to in verse 14. Look what he says. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? He's asking God, why? Why, God? And that's the second lesson we learn from the experience of darkness we may never know the reason for the darkness. There is no answer here. It doesn't end with the answer. It ends with darkness. Heman just keeps on praying even when he doesn't know why. And brothers and sisters, there aren't always answers to our questions as to why. Sometimes we just, we just don't know. But again, this prayer is based on the truth of who God is. Even when we're suffering, we might not know why, but the truth is he's still loving us. He's still faithful. He's still righteous. He's still the God who saves, which means that we will be saved from this suffering in glory at least. But this side of heaven, we may never know why. And the third lesson that we learn from this psalm, about the experience of darkness, is that it can last a long time. The duration of his suffering in the psalm seems to be very long. Verse 15 tells us that it's been from his youth. I mean, we don't know how old he is, but it gives us the impression that it's been a long time that this man has been suffering. And the psalm ends without the suffering, apparently even having finished. And for some of God's people... And it's not easy to to say this, but it's true. For some of God's people, suffering may experience darkness for the whole of their Christian lives. That may very well be a reality for some. For some of God's people, just clinging on to the truth and to heaven may be your Christian experience. Now, God does answer prayer, of course, but sometimes the answer is no and for for his glory in some way that we don't even know why our experience of darkness can be for a long time and when the answer is no he still gets the glory even if we can't see it now or even feel it now these are difficult truths aren't they they they're difficult truths to hear But although the psalm ends with the word darkness, the Bible doesn't end at the end of Psalm 88 because the God who saves is Jesus Christ. Now, Heman feels the sense of approaching death. Heman feels abandonment from God. Heman feels alienation from people. But what he was feeling, although the experience was real, what he was feeling was true, it was not absolute and permanent. What he was feeling was true, but it was not a darkness that was absolute and permanent. He was not totally dead. God had not totally abandoned him. And as a son of Korah, he is in the Psalter with a whole bunch of other brothers So you could argue, too, that he wasn't totally alienated from people. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, he did suffer what Heman expresses, but he experienced them absolutely and totally. Approaching death, well, Jesus suffered the full weight of the wrath of God as he died On the cross. Abandoned by God, Jesus suffered as God forsaken. When he was on the cross, God the Father completely, absolutely, and totally abandoned his son. Alienated from friends, where were Jesus' friends when he died? They had run away. And those that were around him mocked him and cursed him as he died on the cross. And as Jesus dies on the cross, in Matthew, and in Mark's Gospel too, but Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45, we read from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And that darkness was a, a physical expression of what Jesus was suffering, total and absolute darkness. Darkness. And he did that so that we will not have to suffer total and absolute darkness. As much as we may suffer now, we will not, if we have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus to pay for our sin, suffer the total darkness of hell. That is not going to happen to God's people. Jesus did not abandon you in his ultimate darkness, he stayed on the cross until it was finished. So in your darkness, he won't abandon you, however much it may feel like he has. We are never abandoned because Jesus suffered complete and total abandonment so that God is always with us. And although we may not feel that, that is the truth that we must never forget. We must keep trusting, keep praying Hold on, even by the very uh, fingernails, until we reach our eternal rest when darkness will be no more. As Paul writes at the end of Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or naked or danger or sword or darkness? And is it, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. Things may get. However, dark we may feel, this truth still stands. He died, He is risen, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so, friends, when we feel this darkness, cling on to that truth. Don't let it go, because the cross and the empty tomb will never change. They happened they're real, cling on. And one day we read in heaven that there is no darkness. The glory of the Lord will shine forevermore and we can look forward to that wonderful day. Why don't we pray before we respond in song? Heavenly Father, there are times where we uh, feel the darkness in our lives. And perhaps there, even tonight, Lord, are people here that are feeling like darkness is their closest friend. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show them the truth that you teach us in your word. That nothing can separate us from you. That even when we don't feel it, you are our closest friend. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who saves me. Amen. Let's respond uh, by standing and singing Christ Alone Cornerstone.